Peter chapter 1, just starting a new series on 2 Peter, toward the back of your New Testament. And before I forget, uh, last night about midnight, we got a call from my one of my sisters, and my mom had had what my sister, who's not a medical doctor, thought was a stroke, and turned out uh, they kind of worked her up at her local hospital and sent her to Herman Hospital in Houston, Texas. And um, they're saying she didn't have a stroke, but she was uh, for a long period non-responsive and was having seizures. And uh, when she did arrive at Herman Hospital, she was responsive in a lot of pain. And um, when they calmed her down, uh, she knew her name, but she didn't know my older sister, who's a nurse who accompanied her on the ambulance uh, trip. And... Uh, didn't know what day it was and, and, and this kind of thing. So uh, a lot of question marks yet. Her name is Frances McCoy. She's had uh, congestive heart failure for a while, so we prayed about that. She survived Stevens-Johnson syndrome in 2007, which is a very rare, very odd disease that quite often is fatal. So she's 89 years old. She's a believer, and um, so please keep her in mind. We'll, we'll certainly want to pray about her this morning. But let's start by reading Second Peter. We're going to focus on verses 3 and 4, but uh, let me read the first four verses, and I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to, that is, writing this letter under inspiration, so it's Scripture, initially to those specific individuals he's addressing, who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, the apostolic faith in doctrine and morals, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace, that's Christian life, grace and peace, be multiplied to you. And as I know Betty knows, you know, Oklahoma, uh, y'all is singular and all y'all is plural. And that's, that's all y'all. Grace and, and peace be multiplied to all y'all, to all you Christians in the first century who originally read this to Christians today in the 21st century like us, who are reading it, grace and peace in your Christian life, God's empowerment is unmerited favor and peace of mind, which means you're in the eye of the hurricane, even though you have issues swirling around you, be multiplied to you in, and that's dative of means in the original, through, in, in the, by means of the knowledge, and that's a special word, epinosis, that's a special word. Knowledge there is epinosis, not just gnosis, which means full heart knowledge, your mind and your will. So you've got biblical convictions, not just biblical information in your head. Uh, by means of the epinosis of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us, that's true for every believer in this room, everything you're going to need pertaining to life and godliness, or, or to you living a godly life as a mother, as a wife, as a student, as a retired person, as a middle-aged person, uh, whatever you are, whatever you is, uh, through the true knowledge, there's epinosis again, not just head information, not just mental assent, but faith in the truth of God's word about him, about reality, about right and wrong, and you're living it as a conviction, by the true or through the true knowledge of Him, who called us by His own glorious excellence, not just to uh, be a C minus uh, Christian, but to be an A plus Christian. For by these, by His glory and excellence, He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises. Which is talking about um, leaning on the promises, so that by them you may have become. It's a perfect participle there. Uh, partakers of the divine nature, that is, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, having escaped the corruption that's in the world by lust. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard this saying, but uh, there's an old saying that goes, ain't, ain't a word, because ain't, ain't in the dictionary. Now, during my days, uh, through school, at least through high school, I, I heard that at least a thousand times. However, and I've done some research on this, and more recently, ain't, the word ain't, has been included in most English dictionaries, including 
the Oxford English Dictionary, which is the standard dictionary. And the Oxford English Dictionary says this about ain't. In addition to a grammatically substandard contraction often found in common usage, ain't can be used for emphatic emphasis. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? That's the way I'm using the term in uh, the title for this message. Take it on faith. When believers ain't growing spiritually, it ain't God's fault. Okay, that's what we're going to see in our passage here in Second Peter this morning. But before we dive into our spiritual meal, let's pray for teachability to God's word and also for our, um, our troops and our peace officers and our firefighters. Okay? And uh, if somebody remember my mom, Frances McCoy, too, as we pray, I appreciate that. And uh, David Demerson, pray for us, would you please? Amen. Thank you, David. You know, in the plan of salvation, God the Father is the author and the sender of the Son. Uh, God the Son is the active agent, and he, he quite often emphasizes, I've been sent to do the will of my Father, do the, the plan of my Father. So God the Father is the author, God the Son is the active agent, and God the Holy Spirit is the activating agent. And we're thinking about spiritual growth today, and I think God the Father clearly is the author of the plan for our spiritual growth. And with that in mind, uh, and to recharge our capacity for abstract thought, three things no Christian father has ever said to his son. I've noticed your friends seem to have this, quote-unquote, I'm a lot smarter than your parents kind of attitude. And I tell you right now, I really admire that. Uh, while your mom and I are out of town next week, take my credit card just in case you want to max it out and buy anything you want. I know there's some, some uh, polite giggles by a few and some big smiles by the ward boys on these. So I think uh, finally scratch where they're itching. Okay? Uh, you might say three things uh, Eric Ward will never say to Clay or Henry. And the number three one, or number one one, I guess, is, I get this straight, no son of mine is going to live under this roof without a, an earring, so go to the mall and get it over with. <laughs> yeah, last week we kind of did a flyover of the book of Second Peter and looked at the whole thing, like a helicopter ride over Yellowstone National Park. And the passage that uh, Ron read this morning for Call to Worship, at the very end of the book, is the purpose statement of the book. And uh, invariably, the biblical books have purpose statements somewhere, sometimes at the very beginning, sometimes in the middle, sometimes in the end. And I always like to say, uh, when you have one at the end, that the key to the book's hanging at the back door. And to sum it up, he's saying, therefore, beloved, he's talking to believers. He's not questioning their faith. He's questioning whether or not they're wise enough to let uh, perverted unbelievers come into the church in the uh name of uh, inclusion and teach them heresy, but he doesn't doubt their salvation, but he is concerned about their spiritual growth. Be diligent to be found in him in peace, spotless and blameless, and be growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, think of uh, this book as a three-story building with a big arch over the top of it, and the arch over the top of it is that purpose statement at the end, and then the first floor is holiness, i.e. spiritual growth. The second floor is warning against heresy, and uh, the third floor is hope. Hope in the Bible doesn't mean I hope something will happen, like I hope the Patriots lose the Super Bowl. That's where I am. I'm just being honest. Um, but it might not happen. I'm hoping, right? Biblical hope means uh, anticipation of something you know is going to happen in the future. And when you read that passage in context, it's the, uh, the purpose statement is it's wonderful. We're looking for a universe in which righteousness dwells, where is it no more strokes and cancers and heart attacks and child molesters and, and wars and criminals and all that stuff. And so in the meanwhile, while we're temporary duty earth, let's get excited about growing in the, in the Lord and standing for the faith. And that's kind of the essence of the book. And today, uh, and so you might sum up the message this way. You know, we're emphasizing those three dynamics, holiness, heresy, and hope. A Christ-centered hope in Brad McCoy or in David Bearden 
or in uh, Ken Wanzer, a Christ-centered hope, really looking forward to the future that's going to happen on God's schedule, not on ours, should motivate Ken or David or Brad now to embrace a lifestyle of true holiness, growing spiritually constantly, uh, consistently, and to avoid the heresies doctrinally and morally of false teachers. Now, um, whether she likes it or not, I guess uh, Jenny's kind of the unofficial uh, guardian of all of Brad's acronyms, and you know, I kind of throw them at you. We have a new acronym today. I don't think I've used this one before. Let's just call this SGIB. And SGIB, S-G-I-B, stands for Spiritual Growth in Believers. In our uh, passage today, we're going to see the ultimate source of spiritual growth in believers, James Mitchell. We're going to look at the immediate agency of spiritual growth in believers, Henry Ward. And then the stable foundation of spiritual growth in believers, Connie Connie Norton, that kind of thing. So we're going to break the passage down like that. Ultimate source, immediate agency, stable foundation. Let's look at the ultimate source. Let's look at the first part of verse 3. But to get the context, look at verse 2 again. Grace and peace, his prayer, his wish, his desire for them, is that will be processing and growing in and experiencing God's grace and peace in their Christian life that will be multiplied and growing within them and toward them by means of them growing in the epinosis, not just processing information, but converting information in the head to convert convictions that we actually live out consistently to the glory of God and our Lord Jesus Christ, seeing that his divine power, the same power that regenerated us when we trusted Christ, the same power that resurrected Christ from the dead, is going to be at work in us through the Holy Spirit to give us everything we need to live a life of godliness. And that's not just for missionaries and song leaders and youth ministers and vocational pastors. That's for every believer in this room and every believer that's existed in the entire church age. Seeing that his divine power has granted, is going to give us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness or to a godly life, right? Now, who's us? Well, Peter's a believer writing to believers in this book. And that's true in the first century. Those, those are the original readers. But because this is timeless scripture, it applies to every believer in this room and every believer in this, on this planet, regardless of country, color, or culture, denomination, or generation, uh, today for us in the 21st century. So you can kind of put your name here. So if your name is Lori McCann, I think there's somebody in here by that name, right? You could say, uh, I, Lori McCann, have been supernaturally regenerated. Regeneration is the impartation of spiritual life to the believing sinner. By God's grace, through faith in Christ alone, I, Lori McCann, can depend on the fact that the God who saved me will always make available the spiritual resources I need to be and or to become everything he wants me to be in her character. Now see, Joel Olstein tells you that God's a cosmic Coke machine. If you have enough faith and you push buttons, he's got to give you what you want. And it's all about your circumstances. You will not find that in the New Testament. Everybody who writes the New Testament, with the possible exception of John, who dies of an old age uh, after spending a long time in a Roman prison island, all the guys that wrote the New Testament were all martyred for the faith. They didn't get rich and famous. Uh, God's you know, I don't like this either. I'm just telling you what the deal is. God is more interested in your character than your circumstances, but he will use all your circumstances to shape your character. And you can resist that, as I sometimes have, and, and actually become harder instead of softer. But the idea is God will give you the spiritual dynamic and the spiritual power and everything you need spiritually to be or to become what he wants you to be in your character regardless of what your circumstances are. In fact, he providentially uh, provides the circumstances, including how many, um, what should we say, uh, years, months, weeks, days, hours, seconds that you need to be what he wants you to be before you're done. Uh, there was a story once about a, a theologian came to a church and he talked about God is sovereign over even how many seconds you get to live in this world. 
And this one person in the back of the church didn't like that. So when, when the message was over, this person said, so you mean that God has a plan and it includes exactly how long I'm going to live and exactly how long you're going to live to the second. And the theologian said, yes, I do believe that. That's what, that's what, that's what it is. And so the guy says, so that means that tomorrow, if it's not God's time for me to die, I could go to the top of the Empire State Building and at noon jump off. And if it's not God's time for me to die, I would not die. And the theologian thought for a second and said, you know what? If tomorrow at noon you jump off the Empire State Building, it is God's time for you to die. <laughs> you know, they both work together, you know. Uh, God's initiative, God's sovereignty, and our responsibility. So both those things are working. Uh, but I tell you what, embracing that truth that God is going to give you what you need so you can be or become in your character, because we're not, I haven't arrived yet, and you may not have either, in the perfect character, and we're never going to quite get there, are we, this side of, of heaven. Uh, that separates the the women from the girls, the men from the boys, the mature from the immature, and here's my favorite one, the persevering from the Pollyannas in the spiritual life. Um, it's very hard to build a battleship in the middle of a hurricane. But hurricanes can ride out hurricanes. But if you're building one in the middle of a hurricane, you've got no shot. This is why spiritual growth is a priority for middle schoolers and high schoolers and college students and college dropouts and PhDs and uh, uh, what is it? Dr. Hendricks told us that some people graduate from Dallas Seminary uh, magna cum laude, and others graduate laude, how come? But it doesn't matter who you are or what color you are or how rich you are or what your circumstances are. If you're a believer, um, God is going to give you what you need, but you're going to have to access it through faith. You're going to have to have enough epinosis to lean on. You've got to kind of build a battleship of the soul before the next big one hits, and it's coming. It's coming. It's a phone call away, isn't it? But the good news is, once you see that principle, that God is going to, by his power, it's not about how strong you are psychologically, give you what you need pertaining to you living a godly life and growing in grace and knowledge. Once you see that principle in Scripture, it's not just taught here, Robbie, so if you miss, if you just happen to be absent and not hear this, you've got no shot. Yeah, It's taught hundreds of times. It's everywhere in Scripture. Once you see the principle, you see it all over the place. The scripture reinforces if you've got a battleship of the soul, if you don't just have a bunch of Bible information, but you've got biblical convictions that really define who you are and the way you think and what your priorities are and what your categories are and what your decisions are, even if you break them, at least you're convicted about them kind of thing. Uh, it's all over the place. And it relates to a lot of things that people misinterpret in the Bible. In First Thessalonians 5.18, we read, In everything give thanks for... This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And some people means that, that means that, you know, if somebody is murdered or kidnapped and killed, we've got to give God thanks for that. It doesn't say thank God for everything that happens. It means in whatever happens, give God thanks because he's going to give you everything you need so you can be or become what he wants you to be. Even if your mother has a stroke or has serious neurological damage, or your husband dies, or you lose your job, or your dog dies, or whatever happens to you, good, bad, or indifferent. God's always going to give you this situation is God's will for you, and he will providentially work it out so that it can be used to fashion you into a more godly person. Uh, what does Romans 28 say? All things work together for good. In fact, the Greek text has a definite article. All things work together for the good. And in context, he's talking about you becoming more spiritual. You becoming more like Christ. You growing spiritually. Um, that's New Testament. I love the one in the Old Testament. In, at the end of the Joseph saga, in the Joseph, the coat, coat of many colors guy, uh, in Genesis 50, 20, uh, you know, Joseph and the family reconciled, but dad was still alive. And so when dad died, Jacob died, the brothers were afraid. Okay, now that dad's gone, you know, Joseph is going to wreak havoc on us for selling him into slavery so many years ago. And so they're kind of looking at him crossways. And what does Joseph Lee famously say? So he basically says, chill out, guys. I've totally forgiven you. You intended it for evil, but 
God intended it for good. Not He's not responsible for the evil, horrible part of trying to kill their brother and then this night not to kill. Let's not kill him. We can sell him to slavery. They'll kill him for us, and we'll make money off it. That's horrible. They're culpable for that. But God permitted that so that Joseph gets in a position not only where he can grow spiritually, but he can bless lots of people, like you know, allow. Jacob's sons to survive this famine that otherwise would have broken the chain to get to Jesus. So God sees everything. We only see a few of the pieces. We're never going to have enough information to legitimately second-guess God, but boy, it's tempting to sometimes, isn't it? How about that same principle? God's going to give us what we need by his power so we can be what he wants us to be in our character. How about Philippians 4.13? And I'm thinking of my man... And technically, he's not a theologian, but he seems like a very nice guy. You know, you ever heard of Tim Tebow? You know, during the height of his uh, senior year playing for Florida, and they were a very good team, and he was a very good, uh, unorthodox, but very good college quarterback. And on his eye black, he quite often would have Philippians 4.13, uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so Tim would tell the reporters the reason he won the Heisman Trophy is because God gave him everything he needed to win football games. Apparently, it got harder in the NFL. And you know what? I, I love Tim Timbo, and I'm glad he's on our side. And he seemed like a heck of a nice guy. Uh, and maybe he'll come speak here someday. Who knows? You know, After Dale Weaver, that'll open the doors for everybody else. But you know, that statement in context isn't saying that uh, if uh, through, through faith in Christ, I can throw a baseball 150 miles an hour. My problem as a pitcher was my my fastball looked a lot like my changeup. And my curve didn't curve very much, and it looked a lot like my changeup. <laughs> and so they just kind of, after they watched me once or twice, they just teed off on me. And I'm talking hardball, not softball, obviously, just lobbing it up there. Um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I guess that uh, 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 Zach Johnson... Just an outstanding Christian guy on the PGA Tour. I guess he can hit a golf ball 600 yards, right? He's one of the shorter hitters on the tour. He only averages like 285. When he gets rolled, it goes over 300. But no, people can't hit the ball 600 yards. I mean, God could cause that to happen, but that's not what that means. Uh, I can do all things that God wants me to do in my character just in spite of my circumstances. And in context, he's talking about being having plenty of money or not having any money at all, Paul's saying. I can do all the different kind of things God wants me to do with a godly character because of who Christ is, because the same power that resurrected the Savior will empower me in my character to allow God to forge my my convictions over time. So the principle is believers can and should depend on the fact that God's going to give us everything we need to become, everything he wants us to be or to become, regardless of our circumstances, as long as we're kind of leaning on him, feeding on the word, and staying um, active in abiding in Christ. So among other things, I think this means, number one, whoops, I meant to move that slide over there. Um, number one, all believers, not just youth ministers and pastors and missionaries, can and should be pursuing spiritual growth and number two, when individual believers find themselves in spiritual stalls, it ain't God's fault. Look in the mirror, okay? Um, King David in Jerusalem, you know, when you read about just before he looks at Bathsheba and does all that stuff, says, during the spring when all the kings go out to blow out the enemies from their borders, David decided to take that year off. He decided to stay home, okay? He's supposed to be out on, between the lines, and he's staying home. So he's got some unnecessary leisure. And somebody once said, what is that? The devil, idle hands, devil's workshop, you know. Uh, when David in the Old Testament, uh, it's a good example, uh, is in a spiritual stall, which lasted maybe 18 months and included adultery and murder, which aren't good things, you know. Um, that's not God's fault. It's not God's problem. It's his problem. Um the illustration I used, and I know David appreciates this, if I'm trying to water my grass during the summer and there's a kink in my water hose, and I, listen, I buy cheap water hoses. I mean, I, you know, it's just not good. You know, you buy a cheap water hose, you know, at the dollar store, 
you can't roll them up. They kink. They don't work so good. Uh, my dad and my plumber, uh, Hal, who unfortunately uh, has, has left us, but uh, got a fun Hal Clark, you know, got promoted to heaven, which leaves me without a plumber. Uh, but he used to, he kidded me once about the hose. I, he needed my hose for something in my, our plumbing. And he kidded me about the cheap hose I had. But, uh, so I know how this feels. If I have a kink in my water hose, that's going to prevent the water flowing through the hose and letting me water the grass. But the problem isn't with the, uh, the water department of the city of Duncan or David Yeager. Don't call David Yeager if that's happening in your life. It's with the hose owner and operator. Okay? Right? Garbage in, garbage out kind of thing. Okay. Thinking about spiritual growth, and we're saying that uh, the ultimate source of spiritual growth is God's power. We can do this. He's got this, okay? Uh, the immediate agency of spiritual growth in believers is our epinosis. Don't worry. We'll explain that again. We saw it last week. It's important. It's the essence of the whole book. Uh, it's our epinosis, our biblical convictions that fuel our priorities, our choices, uh, uh, our whole worldview uh, through God's Word, not through People Magazine or Entertainment Tonight. Uh, notice the second part of verse 3. His divine power is going to give us everything to live a godly life, and this is going to come through or be mediated through through the immediate agency of the true knowledge of Him who called us by His excellent glory. Now, long story short, in verse 2, we have most English translations refer to knowledge. This English translation adds true knowledge, even though the word true is not there in the Greek. But when you get to verse 5, you've got the word, or verse 6, in your knowledge. That's three different statements and references to knowledge. But the first two, in verse 2 and 3, one we saw last week and today, is a particular form of the word, it's an intensified form of the word, epinosis, whereas verse 6 is just gnosis, and those are two different things. But the English language just obscures that. Homer brilliantly pointed out last week during sharing time that epinosis reminded him of epic gnosis. And epi, as Doug knows, is just a Greek preposition. It means over and above. So you got gnosis, which is consciousness of information. And then you got epinosis, where you move it from your head, mind, through your will, into your heart. And now it becomes your convictions is the way you think about good, bad, right, wrong, who God is, who you are, your responsibility to him, to your church, to your family, to everything. It's your whole basis for living your life, you know. Uh, and sometimes you have to fly on on instruments because when, uh, you know, depending on how bad your circumstances are, you're not feeling God like you do when things are going great and, and uh, you know, we're singing all these great hymns and you can feel God's presence very viscerally. Sometimes you, that goes away. The feelings uh, come and go. The facts are what are really important. So, yeah, we, we need to realize that we're only going to achieve spiritually if we are operating according to true knowledge, full epinosis, heart conviction of truth about who God is, who we are in Christ, all this wonderful stuff that we learn from Scripture, who called us to his, uh, called us, uh, by his own glorious excellence. Well, I love this stuff. Uh, here's the active mechanism we talked about last time. The believer living a godly life comes through this epinosis. Let's talk about what epinosis is as opposed to gnosis. Two different Greek words, not that hard. Gnosis is just awareness of information. And this is why uh, sometimes in some churches and some Christian families, we, we teach these kids all these biblical stories and they process them out of head knowledge and they become self-righteous little jerks. You know? And this happens. This happens to Bible college graduates. This come, happens to seminary graduates. They just process it through their information. They know more about Obadiah than you do. So you're obviously inferior spiritually. Huh? Really? I thought this was knowledge puffs up. In fact, that's what it says in 1 Corinthians 8. If you just process even truth stuff about God just in your head... So you become like an Eddie Haskell kind of Christian. Uh, epinosis is information embraced as truth, not just by your head, your consciousness, uh, your intellect, but by your volition, right? Uh, gnosis is like knowing knowledge about flying 
from books and plane rides. Epinosis is knowing about flying from flying airplanes. Uh, I said last week, uh, in my junior year at Nederland High School, I was a bulldog. She was a bulldog. I actually sat across the aisle from her as a junior in English. I don't think she ever noticed me. I noticed her, but I was too scared to talk to her. So let's fast forward a year. Now we're in senior English, advanced placement. This was for the smart kids, just so you'll know. Uh, and she was too smart to talk to me, you know, until like the last uh, eight weeks of the semester, I finally got enough guts and uh, talked to her. But only because I knew she needed to go to the Port Arthur Library to do research, do research for the final English senior uh, research paper. And so as I, it's true, our first date was me driving Debbie Walker to the Port Arthur Library to do research on research paper. And I'm sure she probably made a better grade than I did, as she usually did. But uh, I could say I had a lot of gnosis about Debbie. I knew she was uh, really smart and really nice and really good looking. And so I had a lot of gnosis about that. But, you know, two years after that, that's 71, we graduated from high school, 73, we got married real young. Okay? Uh, it's, I've, I've said this joke before, but I enjoy saying it. You know, when you get married at age 20 and you live to be 64, you've spent a long time together. So I got a lot of epinosis about Debbie. But, uh, you know, over the years now, we've had grandkids. We have seven grandkids. And people have asked me, does it bother you to become a grandfather? I said, becoming a grandfather doesn't bother me. Being married to a grandmother kind of blows my categories. But that's just the way it is. You know, it just happens, you know. So, yeah, I had a lot of gnosis about Debbie before I asked her out. And even after we went to some dates. I think one of my, I think the second date we went to see a movie. It's called Patton. Just a real romantic movie about World War II. <laughs> And I just, and then she found out I had to work seven days a week at my family business, and so I got Christmas off every year uh, for good behavior. So a lot of our dates were her sitting in the shack watching me pick up golf balls <laughs> late at night, which is true. But Gnosis would be like biblical consciousness, awareness of biblical stuff, biblical stories, even biblical doctrine, whereas Epinosis is biblical conviction, Okay. Uh, gnosis involves the intellect, the head. Epinosis involves the heart. First Corinthians 8 says, watch out, you know, information will puff you up and make you a self-righteous jerk. But what does Romans 3.20 say? By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in God's sight, but by the law comes the epinosis of sin. Oh my gosh, I've broken God's standards. Come think of it, I break my own at my worst. I desperately need a sinner. That's what the law is supposed to do for you. Uh, look at Romans 10. Man, I love Romans 10. So much good stuff in Romans 10. Look at Romans 10, verse 2, and then we'll back up a little bit for some context. And this is epinosis here, again, uh, in Romans 10, not just gnosis. But, uh, yeah, warning about religious Jewish folks who had rejected Jesus and were now persecuting the church, Paul says in Romans 10.2, For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with epinosis. They got a lot of gnosis about the Old Testament in the original Hebrew, but they got no epinosis about what's really important. And so for fun here, let's back up a little bit on that Romans... uh, if I remind myself what I wanted to read here. Yeah, go back to verse 30 of, of chapter 9. What shall we say then? This is crazy, he's saying. But Gentiles who were never under the law, who have worshipped pagan idols, who trust Jesus Christ are saved, and Jews who have been trying to worship the right God, in many cases are letting their own self-righteousness get in the way of trusting Jesus. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue Righteousness according to the law of Moses. They didn't know about it. Attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith in Christ. But Israel, not every individual, but the vast majority of the the Jews, pursuing a law that would give them the righteousness they thought they could earn to be good enough to go to heaven, didn't arrive at the point of the law. Romans 3.20 says the law is designed to give us epinosis. We're sinners and need a Savior. Why? Why did they miss it? Because they did not pursue salvation by faith, but though it were by works, by they could earn it, 
by being good enough observant Jews. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Uh, as is written in uh, Isaiah, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Brethren, my heart's desire, my prayer to God is for their salvation, for I testify they've got a zeal for God, but they don't have epinosis about God, for not knowing about God's righteousness, that it's it's not attainable by our own efforts, by our own religiosity, even trying to obey God's laws in Scripture. We can't do it, so we can't get to heaven that way. And seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes that the one who practices righteousness, which is based by the law, will live by that righteousness, but nobody can live perfectly by that righteousness. That's the problem. But the righteousness of faith, based on faith, and it goes on. So go back to Second Peter. Yeah, we're talking about epinosis here. Um, God's going to give us what we need in regards to your circumstances, but it happens only as you hammer out epinosis. You take the truths of Scripture about who God is and what's right and what's wrong and where the world works and where it came from and where it's going, and that's the way you see, that's your windshield. That's the way you look at yourself and everything else. That's what epinosis is. And so I would just say it's all about the heart. Now, you might think heart. When you think of heart, I mean, Angel's going to be a medical professional. Uh, Carla's a medical professional. At least you work with medical professionals. You make it possible for medical professionals to do their thing, right? You think of that. You think of that that pump that pushes our blood around. Uh, but that's not what Scripture means spiritually. You're not talking about the physical medical heart. It's talking about the spiritual heart, the mind and the will. Uh, the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. And it's a critic of the thoughts and intents of the heart. According to Hebrews 4, your heart spiritually has two things. Thoughts, your mind, and intents, your will. That's what your heart is, your mind and your will. So when we're thinking about the heart, biblically, let's think about that, okay, like that. Your heart is your mind and your will. It's your thoughts and your intents. Uh, your mind processes facts and information. Your will embraces, chooses whether or not to embrace those facts as truth, right? Your mind gives you biblical consciousness. Your will takes that information and can convert it to biblical conviction. So your mind is where gnosis happens and receiving Gnosis, receiving information, is an essential part of spiritual growth, but it's not the end point. If you stop it there, you're just going to become a self-impressed, self-righteous person. You know, probably super legalistic. You know, the woods are full of them. I bump into them all the time. Um, you got to bring your will into play, uh, and then you have epinosis. So the word of God is alive and powerful. It's a critic of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It's your mind and your will. Moses and Aaron, priests of the Exodus generation, they blew it. They refused to conquer the promised land. And Hebrews says the word they heard, it was the word of God through Moses and Aaron. It wasn't the the uh, megaphone's fault. Did not profit them because it was not united by faith. Faith is your mind and your will. Uh, that's true for saving faith. Saving faith is not just information about Jesus. It involves full consent of the will. But as many as received him... Right? As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe. Pistuo, the word believe doesn't mean just mental assent, it means full consent of the will. It's the mind and the will. Right? Okay. The ultimate source of spiritual growth in believers is God's gracious provision. He's going to give us what we need so we can get there. The immediate agency is processing God's word through our head and our heart so it becomes changing, transforming truth. And then the stable foundation of spiritual growth in believers, Carla uh, Buchanan or uh, uh, who else? Uh, I hate to call them people in the back row. I mean, so, uh, Natalie Bartling, okay, uh, Steve Skinner, right, is God's certain salvation. Salvation's of the Lord. We don't earn it or deserve it for us in Christ. Let's look at verse 4. For by these he's granted to us, believers, precious, magnificent promises, so that by them we may 
become partakers of the divine nature, and we may escape the corruption that's in the world by lust. Um, and again, this is talking about the effect of salvation, not the cause of it. We're not saved by uh, escaping corruption. We're saved by trusting Jesus Christ, his work sufficient to save us. He died for our sins, rose again. Then he gives us not just to get out of hell free card, but a capacity to serve him and a promise he's going to give us what we need to help us make spiritual uh, maturity with or without a seminary degree. You don't have to be a theologian to be a world-class Christian, which is a good thing, because I know a lot of theologians personally, and some of them are still confused about stuff like that. But you always want to separate the fruit of salvation from the root of salvation, right? Now watch two things that are true for believers. We're partakers of divine nature, not in the sense that we become God, even lowercase g. Now you realize Mormons believe, this is Lorenzo Snow, who worked with Joseph Smith, the founder, and Brigham Young, the uh, popularizer of Mormonism. Lorenzo Snow said, as man is, God once was, as God is, man may become. That They will read that into statements like that, but you know better than that. We're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. In that sense, we're partakers of the Holy Spirit, of the Godhead, but uh, we, we don't become God in any form, any real sense like that. And we've been rescued from the core effects of moral, spiritual corruption in the world. And you're going to think about some crack cocaine den or some prostitution den, and that's corruption, and that's bad, and I'm not for any of that. But the, the ultimate corruption that the world gives us spiritually isn't just blasphemy, overt sinfulness and more immorality or blasphemous repudiation of Jesus. It very often comes by complementary redefinition of who Jesus is. Uh, last week in the World Religion class, we surveyed the five major religions, and I, I showed a, uh, a slide with a book from uh, that's on Amazon by a uh, Muslim cleric that says, uh, Jesus will return. Jesus, who is Isa in Arabic, is the greatest prophet of Islam, according to Islam, except for Muhammad. Jesus number two. They totally redefined Jesus from the Old Testament, New Testament, as somebody who predicted the coming of Muhammad, but you won't read that in the Bible because the Christians and the Jews changed it. You know, what the apostles and the prophets really were talking about was the coming of Muhammad, and Jesus was the greatest, latest prophet leading to Muhammad. So they're not saying bad things about him. They're saying wonderful things about him. Very much like Jesus says after the religious leaders say he's a satanically possessed false prophet, and he takes the 12 out of town to Caesarea Philippi, he says, okay, what do men say about me now? What's the Gallup poll saying about me now? The leaders have rejected me. And, you know, the apostles say, hey, they're still saying good things. They're saying, you're prophet, uh, you're John the Baptist, resurrected, which was a dumb answer since they were contemporaries. You know, you're Elijah. They're saying a lot of good things about you. Everything's fine, you know. That's not good enough, okay? Then he says, question number two, what do you say now? And it was all y'all again. What do y'all say? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's the ultimate corruption of the world. They want you to believe Anything but that. It doesn't have to be bad. It can be good. Look at First John five. The world, want, the world system, you know, the kind of the satanic counterfeit wants you to believe anything about Jesus except who he really is—that he is the Christ, the Son of God. He's the issue and issuer of eternal life. He's it. Okay, he does all the work on the cross. It's finished means paid in full. And then he's resurrected from the dead, and he's the issue and issuer of eternal life, and it's by God's grace. We don't deserve it through faith, active, receptive trust, mind and will in Jesus Christ. First John 5, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and the world doesn't want you to believe that. Now, if you think Christ is just his last name, that's gnosis, <laughs> okay? Mary Christ, Joseph Christ, virgin conception, virgin birth, Jesus Christ, I believe that in my head, I'm a Christian. Uh, sociologically, yeah, you'll count the 2.17 billion. Theologically, no. Okay, You believe he is the person who, as the Christ, died for our sins and rose again. Uh, and then he drops down, uh, verse 4. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory has overcome the world, the corruption of the world. Our faith that Jesus is the Christ. 
Who's the one who's overcome the world? But he who believes that Jesus, the Christ, is the Son of God. I go back to Second Peter. So we read about corruption and we think about some crack cocaine den. And I'm not for that. I have no secret agenda that I'm promoting that. I don't believe in that. Don't do that. But the, the core thing is just not just necessarily some kind of blasphemous uh, repudiation, but it can be complementary redefinition who Jesus is. And that, that works fine too. All right, take this home. Take this to heart. Um, excuses for underachieving spiritually are easy, but they ain't legit. Because take it on faith, when believers, and put your name in there, Brad McCoy, ain't growing spiritually, it ain't God's fault. Uh, believers have been regenerated by the power of God can depend on that same saving God to make available spiritually the resources we need to become uh, to be or become everything he wants us to be in our character, regardless of your circumstances. And you might think, well, you know, sometimes people doubt their faith during bad circumstances. Uh, I see more often people, things go good. People kind of think God becomes their spare tire. They don't really need to prioritize uh, the Savior as much as they want. They've got everything they need. You know, they've, they've got their get-out-of-hell free card. They're fine. Uh, that That can trip you up, too. So no more excuses, folks. And I'm preaching to myself as much to you. Uh, spiritual growth is an active pursuit. It's not some kind of uh, passive automatic pilot. Notice next week, verse 5. Now, for this very reason, apply all diligence. Get after it, he's saying. Okay, no excuses. God's going to give you what you need. Get excited about becoming more and more like Christ. Uh, spiritual growth is empowered by the Holy Spirit as we abide in Christ. It's a relational thing. It's not merely... External behavior modification. Good psychologists with certain inputs can can do behavior modification and usually some meds too. We're talking about spiritual transformation from the inside out, which God sees, even if other people don't appreciate it, expressed in our choices and behavior, which people see. However, beware of people seeing how you're growing because then you can get impressed with yourself. If you're impressed with how impressed you are with God, you're not impressed with God, you're impressed with you. And that's not the point of the spiritual life. What does Jesus say about, uh, Olga, what does Jesus say about people noticing your good works in Matthew 6.1? Jesus says, beware of doing your good works before people to be noticed by them. So I guess we're supposed to only do secret service good works. Didn't read the whole verse, see? That's the first problem. If you don't read the whole verse, you're, you're toast, right? Beware of doing your good works in front of people to be noticed by them, uh, in front of people to be noticed by them. If you're doing the right thing to, to impress Dale or Debbie, great. Enjoy them being impressed by you, but you're doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. What do we call that, Olga, when you're doing good things for the wrong reasons? That's bad good works, right? So we're going to say good good works, which are not produced by religious motivations or by false guilt, but only by centering on the Lordship of Jesus, you know, right? Abiding in Christ, that allows you to produce a life of good, good works. We're doing the right things for the right reasons. And if people notice, it's wonderful. It's nice to get a little bit of positive input. If they don't, it doesn't matter because that's not why you're doing it. So in closing, the process of spiritual growth, which he urges throughout this whole book and from the very get-go we just read, is analogous to physical growth. I mean, what are you going to do if you're going to grow some muscles? You're going to have to have, as Dustin, you know, he can like, he lifts the whole weight machine in the Simmons Center. You know, some of us just kind of do 30 pound dumbbells. He's doing the whole weight machine with, with his left arm, arm, you know, uh, on, when he's, when he's got the flu, you know, uh, uh, how are you going to grow muscles? Well, you're going to have to exercise, but you're also going to need, uh, uh, to intake positive nutrition and, and Cheetos and hot dogs probably aren't going to make that happen very much, right? Those are my favorite foods. They're not working, you know. Uh, it demands intake. Where are you going to get that intake? You're going to get it from here, people, you know. Uh, not Oprah's latest uh, opus, you know. <laughs> or People Magazine is not going to do it for you. Uh, it also is a process. Physical, you know, physical growth, you know, when, when, you, when you, you wait for your baby for nine months, and here it comes, and it's so much, it's such a blessing and such a joy, your grandkids. And then you wish, you know, they'd start talking. And then after they get to start talking, you wish they'd stop talking. You know, and they don't, they never stop talking if they start talking, but, uh, you know what I mean? It takes a while. 
and you turn around to Cooper 6, going on 19, you're going, wow, man, how did that happen so fast? That's kind of like Jamie. It's kind of like me. It seemed like I was 25 a few years ago, but it's longer than that. So you, you must intake nutrition. And what happens when you try to feed your middle school kid broccoli? Does he like it as much as popcorn? Of course they don't. But does that mean you want to give him popcorn? Not, not a good parent. Now, if, you know, if, uh, you know, dynamics when you're trying to show up your first husband, you know, you may give him popcorn because you want to make points with the kids, but that's not good for the kids. You gotta give them decent nutrition. You get from the word. It's a process. It takes time. So stay patient with it. It's not a point act. It's a righteous direction, not the attainment of absolute righteous perfection. Walk in the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the sin nature. But your desires of sin nature are always going to be there, and sometimes it'll beat the spirit. Some, it, you don't reach sinless perfection this side of life, and it's for every believer, young and old, rich and poor, every country, color and country, not just vocational pastors like me, vocational youth ministers like uh, James, elders and deacons like Homer and and Mike and uh, and Joe and uh, the other elders and deacons I can't think of right now. You know what I mean. Okay, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, this is a a challenge, a scary challenge for some people, but it's really a wonderful opportunity and a privilege to realize you call all of us to become more and more in our character like our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Romans it says it's our logical uh, service, not just spiritual, but logical, logikos. It's just logical for those who have been redeemed by uh, the life and death of Jesus Christ to live for the one who died for us. And sometimes we think, well, that's, Dale takes it seriously. He's an elder and Homer really believes his stuff and takes it seriously, but I'm just an average person. Or, of course, Brad does it, but he's paid to be good, you know, and James is paid to be good. Uh, help, uh, those who need to hear this message, not to receive a bunch of false guilt, but just to realize that they can and should be growing, uh, in their faith. And it's not just processing information from the Bible at a head level. It's embracing it as transforming truth for them, not just for their wife or their pastor or the president or the neighbors or their boss, but for them. And uh, you're going to give us what we need, even when our circumstances are great and we tend to think we can go on automatic pilot or when they're terrible and we're not sure you're even up there, even though the sun's still shining on cloudy days and we know that. And uh, we certainly uh, sang about that today. But, uh, Father, just re-motivate us. Uh, we're still in the new phases of a new year. And so it's always fun to kind of retool and rethink and help all of us as uh, every believer in this room to re-embrace uh, your challenge and the opportunity we have to be growing in grace and knowledge. Uh, if there's anyone here this morning who's not from the depth of their heart, with their mind and their will trusted in Jesus Christ alone, for their forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life, open their eyes to see uh, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin, they got it. Righteousness, they can't crank it out perfectly enough to earn salvation and judgment. It's coming. But because Christ died for our sins, we don't have to die in our sins. And I praise you, we do not have to be a theologian to trust Jesus Christ. Little children can do it, as our Lord Jesus says. And uh, I pray you'd open hearts to, to trust in the Savior if they've not done that.